he was on the internet, I couldn't be on the internet, and he was, you know, on his Xbox. I, I have vivid memories of our father holding his Xbox over the pool in the backyard saying, <laughs> Elliot, I will drop it. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your hosts, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. All right, welcome back to the Creative Disruption Podcast. We're always talking about the things that are disrupting the industry and the people that are actually doing it. And today I'm joined here with my friend and my friend and my friend, Ricky Ray Butler. You are my friend, aren't you? <laughs> hey, good to be here. How are you doing? Dude, I am having a, actually a pretty good day. Um, I, you know, I think so when, you actually, yeah, when you wake up in the morning and you actually enjoy what you do, it's like, it's great. It's great to be alive. We were actually uh, uh, posting some videos on YouTube and watching analytics and just kind of deep diving on, you know, what things are, you know, happening, you know, new things are happening. And, you know, I don't know. I just love what I do. I just love what I do. Yeah. What about you? That's great. You know what? Things are busy. Um, I mean, what's interesting um, as a result of, you know, COVID-19 and, and quarantine, um, you know, you know we're, we're seeing a different dynamic of growth. Like we're seeing, you know, more new business now than ever before. You know, we had a, 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 a huge um, record-breaking first half of the year. And already in the second half, um, the first month, we already just matched the amount of new business that we got from the first half. So it's getting crazy. We're, we're, we're now, you know, figuring out how to scale this growth being remote from each other. And so yeah. it's been a lot of fun for someone that likes change and likes to, you know, problem solve. It's, it's, it's been a unique but, you know, good experience to be in and feel extremely fortunate that we were in this situation when there's so many other people when it comes to the recession and, and you know, all the trials and challenges that are out oh, yeah. there struggling. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, people in the creator space and the influencer industry and entertainment, um, especially new media entertainment, you know, we're all very lucky. We really are. You know, I look at too, it's like, there are so many people that, you know, even ha had the fear of losing their job or have lost their job. And I know that there's been a huge influx of people saying, hey, maybe we need to rethink the nine to five. Maybe we need to rethink um, the way that we do business. And I think that's where you know, I, I'm grateful for a lot of people that decided not to go back into the nine to five and they actually found ways to make money online. I think that's where it's really interesting, you know, and I, I think that uh, this new media, uh, new digital, you know, it's really interesting because the average Joe can actually make money, um, you know, whether he or she like just figures out a niche and starts to develop an audience and creates value through content. And it's just it's just amazing uh, time to be alive for sure. Um, yeah. I don't have a stat that supports this, but there are definitely, you know, I think is more people out there trying to create content and, and oh, yeah. audiences now than ever before. There's definitely higher engagement and higher views, but I think there's also a, a big growth of content creators right now because in a lot of situations, you know, they're forced to start to innovate. And so you look at, you know, the mainstream celebrities, you know, musicians and, and, and actors, you know, they're all looking at what the YouTubers are doing and what the Instagram yep. TikTokers are doing. And they're starting to copy it and realize, oh, now that I can't go on tour or I can't, you know, um, film, I should start creating content. And so um, who slowed down, but, you know, John Krasinski, like what he did, 
It was yep. funny when late night and, and day part, all these different TV shows were trying to create content and were trying to do things with YouTube, but they were really struggling. You have John Krasinski coming in and doing, you know, YouTube 2.0 stuff from like, you know, you know, tactics and, and editing and filming that YouTubers used to do like 10 years ago, like the old school Phil DeFranco stuff and, and, and literally killed it. And we're seeing that across the board now where, you know, um, you have Post Malone doing a live stream, you know, playing Nirvana. Um, yeah. you, you have, you know, all these different creators creating and realizing, okay, in this virtual world that we're in, I cannot rely on just my, you know, um, booking agents. I can't just rely on, you know, I'm going out and and, sell, I mean, and selling myself. I have to literally create and innovate, not just, not just, you yeah. know, do a trade of music or acting, but I actually need to now become a producer and create content. You know, I, I love that. And I think the biggest disruption just in the last, you know, 15 years or so was the invention, you know, of the iPhone and Android devices that can now capture 4K footage, like amazing quality uh, audio and video and is able to pull people in. And I, I gives the the power to individuals that they can create or even capture the moments that are happening. I mean, I look at all the stuff that are, is happening in the world. And if this would have happened, you know, 30 years ago or 40 years ago, it would have been swept under the rug. Nobody would have read it maybe as a headline or whatever, but now they just pull out their phone and they have access and it, whether they're live streaming or content, they're right there. And I, I, I look at it and you're looking at who's in the news right now is Apple. And it's interesting, you know, they're in an antitrust issue. And right. why I find this fascinating is because even though that it's created freedom to create, they're still trying to, you know, squeeze every little dollar um, out of it. And, you know, you, you have uh, a pretty aggressive fight right now going on between Apple and Epic, um, which I'm literally uh, just a few miles away from the headquarters of Epic Games and, mm -hmm. you know, and how disruptive Ep Epic's been and, and realizing that, you know, Apple is taking 30% of every little transaction that ever occurs, big or small, that's going through that platform. And you, and, and you can't, you can't, you know, if you want to have your, your uh, app on it, you have to go with Apple and you have to pay that 30%. If not, they have just opened the gateway for competition. Yeah. They were killing it and, and they still are, and they're doing a great job, but once you make it so really big, publishers or big companies are negative affected that have a huge you know following and their own like movement and culture that gets frustrated with your process you either need to innovate or you're going to be opening up the doorway of um a lot of people getting behind the person that you're going against so I, there's gonna be other marketplaces and other stores that are going to start innovating well, let me let me tell you the exact thing for me because like i i love audiobooks i consume them i probably go through you know, 170 a, a year. I mean, I just, I'm going through a lot of content, right? Mm -hmm. And what always would just upset me is when I'd open up the Audible app on the iPhone and I couldn't go and select new new uh, credit choices. I would just get so frustrated. And then guess what? Lo and behold, just a couple months ago, you now can do that. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Is there a backdoor deal that, that Apple's doing with Amazon? And what, you know, what does that even look like? like and then what happens to the other guy because like we actually uh you and i we actually have an app that's on the app store and we're having to pay a pretty hefty premium you know just for things that we're giving out for free i mean it's crazy yeah. you know and it's like 
I, I think at the end of the day, yes, uh, it's Apple's technology, it's Apple's way of doing things, but there needs to be an other, another way to install apps and have it be active on your, your device or what's going on with it. I mean, seriously. Well, we talk about this in almost every episode where we talk about decentralization yeah. and how we've seen that with, 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 with content. Um, we're going to be seeing it not just with you know, content platforms, but I think with all platforms and with all technology. And, 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 you know, there's just such a demand for media and there's also a demand for people wanting it their way. And, and, and whoever is going to be the one listening, not to just their profits, but listening to the audiences out there and the consumers out there. And if there's something that needs to change, it will change. I mean, I mean, just how YouTube changed all of television. Yep. YouTube was, not, I mean, I mean, TV was not giving love to gaming. There were no gaming programs. You know, the first um, 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 gaming programs happened on YouTube. Um, and it's the same with beauty as well. Um, if consumers want something, they're going to get it. Well, my, my issue is this. It's like, if you don't play ball, then we're pulling off your app. And so mm -hmm. I know, because I actually had Fortnite on my phone, and they, they couldn't update it. They literally took them off the app store and everything that was there because you know, uh, Epic had an issue with that 30%. And yeah, you can pass it on to the customer, but they're like, why? Why, if they're doing all this other stuff, do we need to actually do that? And like, I don't know. Um, I do think um, like, like from a moral standpoint, I'm like, okay, let's not really try to control everything in the government, but we can't have, you know, a lockdown society on this type of, of, of thing, even though that, yeah, we can go to Android and we can go to other places like that. But I don't know. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that. It's just like, I think at the end of the day, you know, if you're facilitating the sale to take a 30% cut, that's pretty steep. I don't care who you yeah, are. It's steep. Um, I, I love the idea of, of businesses being able to make their decisions if, you know, they own the technology, um, as long as there's nothing like crazy shady happening, of course. Um, so, but really, Daryl, you know, I think the answer is who's going to innovate? And, 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 and you can maybe have a monopoly in a, in a certain aspect, but I personally think we're coming to a new world where monopolies are not going to be as prevalent. Um, things are going to well, I, I, I love the open source model because it's like, yeah. and maybe that's where Android's going to start overtaking some of the market share sure. of, of Apple. Because now I, even though I am like the biggest Apple fanboy, I had literally bought a Macintosh computer every year that it came out, whatever it is, I would always buy it. I'm super loyal, but now I'm starting thinking, you know what, even if I can't get the stuff that I want to do on it, that I had before, just because of this dispute and I don't necessarily agree with it, do I go a different source? You know, and I am, I am considering that. And I know too, I think the big thing for me is there's all these content creators that were actually, they love the Apple uh, ecosystem, right? And they would actually play uh, you know, Fortnite on their computer mm -hmm. and yet it's got kicked out of the Apple store because of that d stuff. And now they're like, well, what do I do? I mean, here I have to disrupt my content that's on YouTube and, and I have to go get a PC now just to, to run it. Well, all, and they all did. those people that send you the green text messages are all laughing in your face now. Yeah, that pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone that doesn't have Apple. Well, I've decided a long time ago, and it's not because I'm paranoid, but I, I, I've decided a long time ago that I am not going to depend on any specific brand or technology for all my needs. Well, so, but you, you have I, the I, Palm I love, Pilot I love still, right? Oh, you, I, I thought you had a Palm. No, 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 no. 
<laughs> it was a BlackBerry. Just joking. Oh, that's right. That's right. No, no, no. I, I love I love the iPhone, but I have a PC, and yeah. I, I've been able to. You know, I, I've seen that with PC or with like Surface, I I can get better performance than I can from Mac or Apple. Yeah. I know that's going to piss off a lot of Apple enthusiasts and nerds out there. But what it comes down to is I I, I don't want to have to depend on any brand because if anything shuts down, you know, it all shuts down. And it, yeah, and, no, I agree. And, and so I, I, I like to, you know, diversify the technology that, that I'm using. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, you know, um, you know, in these, in these coming weeks and months. But I think that at the uh, end of the day, it's like, um, you know, Apple has the right to do it. Government has the right to regulate it. You know, we're going to see what happens, but what happened with Amazon? Cause like it, you can literally do that now. And mm -hmm. if that, if that door opened, you need to make it open for other people or there needs to be certain types of things that's disclosed for me, especially when you're taking public money. I love wow. hearing stories like this where there's two giants dealing with this conflict because something positive or hopefully positive will come, even if it gets stressful for a little bit, something positive will come as a result of it. Um, yeah. Because you now have two sides with resources battling it out and um, that might inspire some innovation of the future. Um, I think it would be good... Um, you know, you know, I was talking earlier about how, you know, YouTube was able to, you know, just, you know, create new industries of content because they've allowed, you know, the people to choose what they want to watch. And, and so you have gaming, you have beauty, but um, there's, I mean, we have someone today that is, that is a rock star, a game changer, a pioneer when it comes to influencer marketing I, representation. I'm really excited about this one too, because yes. if there's one industry that's disrupting the world is gaming, like 100%, like gaming is definitely there. 100%. So we have the CEO of Click Management, Grace Watkins on with us today. Um, Grace is also a YouTuber. She has a, a strong, you know, social following of millions of people and also a very um, successful podcast. Um, but Grace, she also, while she's running a, a YouTube career and a creator cre career, she manages over 65% of all the gaming views from Australia. And so she's, she's so that's really, just literally laser beam. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, laser beam and a, a good variety of others. And, and my team loves working with Grace and her team. They, they feel like they're some of the best managers, not just compared to US or Hollywood, you know, agencies, but when it comes to the entire planet, they're some of the most reasonable and easy to work with and also very data driven and when they're representing their talent. And so um, Grace, you know, we love to have someone like you on this on this um, um, podcast. You really have been a, a mover and a shaker, and you've really elevated uh, the gaming scene um, 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 for Australia, uh, which is which is amazing. Guys, thank you so much for having me. That was a very flattering intro. <laughs> I'm um, I'm really glad to be here, and yeah, thank you. So, Grace, we have a lot to talk about, and and I know you know you and Daryl were geeking out earlier talking about Fall Guys and like other games that we might want to discuss. Um, we just got done discussing Epic and, and Fortnite and Apple. Um, maybe stuff that's not as controversial, but um, Grace, I, I would love to hear just from you, you know, I mean, your background and like what inspired you, you know, to become a creator and to start, you know, click management and, and you know, give us kind of like, you know, an idea of like um, what inspired you and, and how you made it happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I definitely clarify. I'm really I'm really not a creator. Like I do I do my podcast with my brother, um, Muselk, um, but really it's it's the management stuff that's keeping me pretty busy at the moment. But well, it certainly so wasn't that than the the Click um, YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, I and I and we we just produced the Click YouTube channel, so. Um, so I, I'm certainly not a talent myself, which I think is probably a good thing for everyone. But uh, <laughs> I mean, YouTube and management certainly wasn't something that was a plan for me. Um, I, you know, did I was a pretty, you know, like academic kid at school and um, went into university and studied accounting and law and did that, spent five years at university, got a law degree and um, I really thought that I was going to go down the corporate path. And I um, did a few internships in New York with private equity firms and stuff and got a graduate, ended up taking a graduate job at um, PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. So was working in assurance there for a couple of years and, and really thought that that was the path um, that I was going to take. But I think at the same time, I was seeing um, my brother is a very big gaming creator, Elliot Muselk, as I said earlier, and it was around that time when he was starting his YouTube career. And I think something that had always been in the back of my mind for me was I was really fascinated by the entertainment industry. I thought that was super interesting. It seemed exciting and fast paced and, um, you know, and and a really influential, impactful industry in the world, but I was never particularly interested in, um, you know, like being an actress or a talent myself. I was always fascinated by the people behind the scenes and who were the people that were, you know, making all of these big moves happen. Um, that you know, the end, the end consumer only sees the the end product, but who are all the people that are actually sort of pulling the strings in the background? And that that always really interested me. So. When my brother Elliot was getting into his YouTube career and and starting that off, I was I was certainly really inspired by um, his drive and how motivated he was by what he was doing, and he was just completely consumed by content creation and was doing it twenty four hours a day. You know, wouldn't sleep, barely was eating, which is certainly not the healthiest thing, but I think it was certainly inspiring to see. Um, that he had that much hunger for what he was doing. And I felt as though, um, while I actually really loved my job at PwC and I enjoyed it, um, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing that I was thinking about wanting to do at 11 p.m. at night or couldn't wait to get up in the next morning and, and get started. And um, and as he grew, he was noticing more of an interest from brands wanting to get into the space and understanding the value that creators held and the and the value that they held in being able to connect with an audience that was oftentimes young and quite difficult to reach through traditional advertising. And also the fact that there were some incredibly talented young creators that perhaps didn't have the vision for themselves on how they they were able to make this a diversified career and really build it into something uh, meaningful. And so that was, I think, when we started talking about uh, what it would be like to create a management agency that really catered to that. And um, gaming was a vertical that I think we found to be a little bit misunderstood, not widely um, represented. And something that we saw a huge amount of growth potential in. And that was basically how Click was born. And that was um, three and a half years ago now and haven't really looked back since then. So, yeah. And, and um, you're like, 
one of the top fastest growing companies, like the top 50 fastest growing companies in Australia last year, correct? Yes. Yeah, we were. Yeah, which is um, very, very cool. And I think it was, um, uh, it was really great to be part of that because I think a lot of people still look at YouTube and YouTube related industries as sort of like a fun project that kids are doing on the side and don't understand how, um, how much of an important part of the entertainment industry it is and that it's certainly that it's going to become over the next five to 10 years. And so I think, um, one of the goals that I really have through the work that we're doing is to help, you know, ensure that people understand how reputable this industry is and how, how quickly it's growing and, um, and how significant it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm glad that you guys have been, you know, cracking the nut of management with, um, with, um, creators that are doing gaming. Um, I think for a lot of the management and agency worlds, you know, adjusting and evolving um, with, you know, the creator community and influencers, um, it's been a big challenge. But I think it's especially been a big challenge with gaming because it is such a new industry in a lot of ways when it comes to creating content around it. And uh, what, you know, what we've seen is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of innovation that's happened when it comes to representation in the last literally two to three years that have made it easier for companies like ours, which do a lot of work with game game companies as well as with other, you know, Fortune 500, you know, companies that want to get into gaming. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think gaming and representation and that sort of thing, it's probably not the kind of job to get into if you want something super predictable and stable. But I think if you're interested in an industry that moves really rapidly and that you're able to um, you know, make fast changes in, then I think it's it's amazing. But certainly the changes that gaming's experienced over the last two to three years has been nothing short of insane. I mean, when we, it's difficult to believe that barely two years ago did Fortnite even exist. Um, and And now it's obviously completely changed the gaming industry in its entirety. And um, and Epic itself is about to change, I think, the wider tech and entertainment industry completely with what they're doing with Apple. And so it's it's amazing. And, and from a creative perspective as well, a lot of the creators that we work with now, even three years ago, hadn't uploaded their first video uh, or certainly hadn't experienced um, their, rapid, their rapid growth that a lot of them found through games like Fortnite. So I think it's um, it's super exciting to be part of something that's moving really rapidly and I think it's exciting because if you're someone young and wanting to get into the, into the entertainment industry, that can be quite a challenging prospect if you were looking to get into, say, movies or music where there are these really established hierarchies and you're going up against people that have 30, 40 years of experience. Whereas I think in gaming, if you come in hungry and wanting to, you know, take it with both hands, you can really develop a lot of subject matter expertise in just a few years. I I, I really love the gaming industry. I don't think the average person out there really understands the the magnitude of the gaming industry. I don't think that they really comprehend how much money is actually there that's generated and how big the audience really is. They're like, oh, it's just a video game, whatever. It's not anything big. Um, and just to give everyone context, it's like I'm sitting in the office of one of the biggest YouTube creators on the freaking planet. Um, he'll pull 30, 40 million uh, video views, you know, when he releases a video. 
on a single video and you know he he's averaged over the course of his uh youtube channel he has quite a few uh, uh videos out there but over 10 million you know and for years and what's crazy is you know he's pulling in a half a billion video views a month on one channel in may uh we we actually started another channel it's called mr beast gaming and um just without even pushing to the main audience or anything you know, we're almost uh, 8 million subscribers and, and getting a ton of views. Well, brand deal started to come in and he's getting offers that are bigger on his gaming channel than is on his main channel where he gets like 4X more, more video views. But it's all about the industry and who's paying the dollars that's behind it and what the true potential really is. And so, uh, Grace, would you mind just like, Get, like giving the essence of of I know most of our our listeners and our viewers are very astute. They understand the data, but could you just explain how big the industry is from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what I was reading last week was that um, gaming revenues exceeded both the movie and music industries combined last year. So it's certainly incredibly massive. Uh, and the viewership is just off the charts. And I think it's something where I feel like there's still quite an education piece to happen with a lot of the market in terms of how significant gaming is as an entertainment vertical. Uh, I feel like there's kind of this misconception or um, when you talk about gaming, you're thinking about like teenage boys sitting in their underwear in their basement at home in the dark, you know, like playing Call of Duty or something. And I think while there's certainly that exists, I feel like now I see really gaming becoming more of a pop culture in the same way that skating has a pop culture phenomenon or, or, or right. you know, industries like that where people are understanding that gaming is not just something that you should look at in a silo. And certainly while a lot of the creators that I work with, gaming's their primary content and perhaps they're doing brand deals where they're promoting other games, people are understanding more and more that people don't just care about these people because of the games that they play. They're invested in what are the clothes you're wearing? What are the music you're listening to? What's the food you're eating? Who are the friends that you have? And how are you interacting with them both on your in-game and off-game? And I think um, I think that's where, as well, because the gaming viewership is so strong and the average view duration of when someone watches gaming content is quite extended, because of there's platforms like streaming, which is really endemic in gaming culture, the average stream duration of some of the creators I represent is like 30 or 40 minutes per viewer. It's really significant. And so if you're watching someone on a regular basis, these guys are uploading daily content most of the time, and they have this really um, solid, consistent audience that keeps coming back more and more, they build a huge level of trust with their audience and their audience doesn't just know the game that they're playing, but they know the friends that they're playing with, what they're eating on stream, the kind of music that they like to play in the background. And they become, I think they really develop this almost friendship relationship where there's truly a level of trust. Mm -hmm. And so if you can imagine, um, yeah, like Daryl, if Ricky recommended you something, you would trust him because you know him and you know, you don't that, know me very you know well, man. <laughs> Well, but you know the things that he likes, no, you, might, you might understand that you have that shared value 
Sydney. Yeah, for sure. And so I think with creators, that's what really exists that I well, find is really. No, Daryl's really into gymnastics, and I'm just not into that. It, it is true. <laughs> there is some truth to it. Like parkour is so cool. So anyway, <laughs> one thing, Grace. What, I mean, what was interesting is you talked a lot about you know like the loyalty of the audiences and the community, and mm-hmm. and I think this is something that um, brands. Um, and those that want to work with gaming, they need to remember that one word, and that's community. A lot mm. of times, people overthink it. They think, "Oh, esports, or, or we got we got to go into gaming and competitions, or oh, what's happening with VR? How can we leverage VR?" And and you're looking beyond the mark at that point. The truth is, yeah, what's gaming so special today is that it has one of the biggest communities ever, and totally. it's the fastest growing community. I mean, I, I, I've advised dozens and dozens of gaming companies um, in the past years and, and, and currently. And I'm starting to see a much bigger trend now where gaming companies are coming and saying, look, I have this title and, and this title over here. We want to figure out how to get, um, you know, um, Gen Z to play our games. All yeah. our, our, our gamers are, are, are men that are 30 plus. We want a younger audience now. You know, how, mm-hmm. how do we do that? And, and, and so... It's one of those things where I think it's kind of like really opening up, um, you know, um, um, marketers' minds on, you know, how to really look at marketing differently. It's not about just sponsoring an e-sporting event. It's about working with a creator (laughs) where you can be a part of their content. You can empower them to create content that their audience is going to enjoy. It's not about absolutely putting on a, a VR set and like doing something very innovative and hoping it gets some viral views. It's about finding a community that is going to appreciate someone playing VR. So and totally. Is, I like, think it's not just about a buzzword. And I think yeah. that's where that's where I think like gaming or or even not gaming, but I feel like esports has become this huge buzzword over the last 24 months. And you see a heap of brands that have clearly heard this buzzword and they're like, okay, we need esports, like quick, how can we attach ourselves to esports? And they're not actually thinking about how am I thinking this through properly or how am I going to reach an audience that actually, you know, gives a crap about me, um, which is why I'm a little skeptical on esports, but separate topic. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's like work with 20 creators that have your target demographic um, Mm -hmm. that collectively are going to be bigger than any esporting competition out there. And you can do it. it, it I think it comes back down. They're just lazy, and I'll, I'll just I'll just say it because you guys won't. But it, the, the reason why, we, 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 yeah, we, we can't say that. Me and Grace, I know you can't, but I can. Because <laughs> what's going on is like, oh, it's trending. Let's just do it. This is the easiest way for us to spend our money instead of saying, look, if we're really going to change the way that we actually reach our potential customer, what we need to do is look for the most value out there, right? And so. Um, the most disruptive industry out there is gaming. And I, I truly do believe this because, you know, I spent hours upon hours upon hours on a Super Nintendo trying to pass every level. And it's like when you go watch a movie, you can watch it once and you're like, okay, that's pretty good. You might watch it two or three times, but a video game, you're going to play that hours upon hours every day of your life it's going to become a routine you're going to try to talk to your friends how to pass different levels then you're going to talk about secret you know easter eggs that are in the video and then you're going to talk about all the little cool things that are going on and at the end of the day that's that subculture that exists you know mm-hmm. it just here you have you have my generation you have generation you know x that's basically 
been eat, drinking, sleeping, gaming, when they go home, they want to unwind. What's the best way to unwind? Boom, they put a headset on and start playing. And that's the, that's yeah. the key uh, of it. And then two, you have this new subset of the generations. So you have millennials and Gen Z. Now, Gen Z, I find more fascinating of how they consume because now they're more integrated in the community where they're looking. I go, I got, you know, five kids and all of them watch laser beam. Like every single one, I can just, they start laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing about? And, you know, they're just like, oh, he said this or whatever. And it's not necessarily about the game. The game's what connects them with the creator, but it's mm-hmm. like the entertainment that's actually coming from that game that they're like, oh, did you see that, what he did here? That was really funny there. You know, he, you know, he did this with that or whatever. But then it's like, they go and talk about that at school with their friends. And then they're like, oh, let's go ahead and play. And then that what binds them back together is that game. And that's why I think, 100 percent um the gamification in epic games uh, Fortnite was brilliant you know to be a part of the club you know you there always had that shop going and you had to get that latest skin i think that transformed the gaming industry even further where you had all this new subset of of content coming into uh these content creators hands and they want to be a part of it they want to have a new skin it's like uh, like right now uh, there's a new game that I think is amazing. It's called Fall Guys. My my kids stopped playing Fortnite. They're just playing Fall Guys now. Uh, they might sneak in a you know a game or two on Fortnite, but they love Fall Guys. And there are content creators right now that are going to spend a quarter of a million dollars to have a virtual skin. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, from my point of view. Yeah, I mean, we should talk about the Tim, the Tapman, and all that you know um, controversy as well around it. <laughs> yeah. But I think to, sorry, just to touch on what you were saying there, Daryl, I I totally agree. I feel like Epic really redefined what it meant to be a developer in the space. And I feel like Epic was probably one of the first to really, really recognize the value that their creator community had in, in making a game and the longevity of the game. And some of the things that they implemented around creator codes or regular updates, weekly updates, the tournaments that they were putting on, the events that they were putting on um, that didn't even have anything to do with competitive play. I think um, they really, really understood the value of their creator community. And now I feel like what Fall Guys is doing is sort of an iteration of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I, what I find fascinating too is just like, okay, digital skins and changing the landscape is like you're adding more depth to the game and some people are going to hate it and they're going to talk about it and some people are going to love it and they're going to talk about it. And then when you use a skin or you do a partnership with Marvel that you're able to be Iron Man in it or Captain America or whatever, they're going to talk about it. And then it's just also creating all this other ancillary content that people are going to talk about it. And if it's on top of mind, regardless if it's free, they're going to want to buy those things, which is an in-app purchase, which comes back to that little Apple issue that most people right. go well, there. You know, we were talking, I mean, you were talking about earlier, you know, it's a good thing for people to, you know, play and, you know, unwind. But as a result of like quarantine, um, it's, it's, a, it's a place for me to connect with people that I don't really have time to connect with otherwise. And, Something that just happened just a couple of weeks ago that was really fun for me is I have, I have a four-year-old um, daughter and um, we have a lot in common. And for the first time, I played with some other friends that also have kids. And, and um, with my daughter, we played Minecraft. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, something came to my mind that, you know, of, you know, 
I've, I've thought of before, but didn't really put two and two together. Like in a way, you know, we talk about gaming as being like the future of like film or future of entertainment. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's kind of like bringing entertainment with social together. Yeah, and, absolutely. Which is, which I is think, because you like watching it, but you also like to interact and 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 play it. But for my daughter, it was just a totally different experience for her because this is her first time doing it, and 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 it was amazing that she could be on you know you know her headphones and microphone and connect with other people, and it was just it was one of the most enjoyable things that you know she's done. Yeah, I think this year has probably um, really put gaming at the forefront of a lot of people's minds that perhaps weren't thinking about it before because obviously as everyone's at home more and homes are becoming the entertainment centres of people's lives, um, the importance of how people's entertainment and social media is all interacting um, is just becoming more and more important. And I think to touch on Epic again, I think that's something where you can see that Epic is really moving in that direction. And I believe um, Tim Sweeney did a tweet late last year where someone asked him, do you see Epic as a social media platform? And he said, not yet, but ask me again in 12 months. And I think what my experience has been working with them is that they were noticing more and more that there were kids that were playing Fortnite, yes, but also just logging on and hanging out in the lobby to talk with their friends. And it was a way where they're not using Discord, they're not using like a Skype or anything else. It was like they were literally going on Fortnite to to hang out with people. And I think what Epic is doing now with in-game concerts, like what they did with Travis Scott and what they're doing with creative modes in the game and that sort of thing, they're clearly, um, I think, setting setting sort of the base for making Fortnite not just a battle royale game, but really a, um, yeah, a universe where people well, can well, go and do a whole heap I, of things. I, I would 100% agree because it's like the creative mode in, uh, you know, Fortnite is so cool and you can do so many different things. But what I what I always look for is like patterns. I like to see, okay, patterns, what's going on, what's what we're going to anticipate. And when uh, Epic bought House Party, I'm like, okay, something's yes. going on here you know and and knowing epic um you know just i have a little bit of history with them but it's just like when you actually understand it's a positioning play of understanding technology or inquiring people you know it's going to be integrated and i i do agree i I remember that tweet and i go oh this is going to be interesting because that was about the same time that the ceo of netflix says we don't view youtube as a competitor we fear face or we fear uh (laughs) a fortnight you know and it's like that's true because those younger eyeballs you know, are definitely loving to engage in a community. And some of them mm. don't even go on YouTube anymore. And, and I, I see even a day that there will be partnerships that YouTube will have to go into a video game so people can access videos. I know that seems really ridiculous, but I, I mean, I mean, we're not talking VR either. It's just like, here's, here's a way that you can get into that ecosystem. I see that happening just because, you know, I think these little sub-communities like Minecraft and Roblox and, you know, Fortnite are going to be the social um, platforms that will connect people. And if you want to get those eyeballs, you're going to need to figure out a different way to do it. Absolutely. Although I do really think the creator community and creators that are creating gaming content on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook um, are totally endemic to the gaming culture as well. And okay. I think, um, I, I believe there was a stat I was reading where 90% of people that play games also watch gaming content on YouTube. And for me, I think that's where 
um, the the value of working with creators and their ability to convey value and build an audience and build a community just really shines through. Yeah, so that, that, that I, that's a good point because if anything, I would say YouTube and like Twitch, they're making gaming much bigger than it ever was. And I think it's gonna continue to do that. And it'll be interesting to see if there is a game that becomes so mainstream where it kind of reverses that process where you do go in that game and then you find, you know, other content or maybe they're more entwined. I, um, I don't see, I don't see Minecraft too far away from that. I like, sure. I don't see Roblox. I mean, they're really getting close to those mm-hmm. things. Well, I feel validated. <laughs> Let me tell you why. When I, when I, you know, over, you know, 12 years ago, when, when I was just work you know, I was working with creators and I've been working with creators for a good 15 years since the, the mind, the mic space days, or when a creator was someone, you know, or an influencer was someone that had over 500 followers on Facebook. Um, but I, at that time I was hitting up a lot of the top gaming companies and, and trying to do integrations within those companies where, where I was saying, Hey, Let's, let's put like a pizza company in this cave so people can go in there, order a pizza, and then keep playing their video game. And um, it was a little ahead of its time when, when I was trying to pick <laughs> that. Um, and people were like, do you realize the red tape we have to go through to make that happen? Uh, <laughs> you're going to ruin our game with, with a brand. But I, looking back, you know, with what you're saying, Daryl, that was really small thinking compared to, you know, what you're saying of like Minecraft that has this huge, enormous community where we stopped talking about Minecraft in the last like, you know, three to four years. But the truth was it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger year over year. And, and it just it was one of those things that was just more adopted by our culture. And now, you know, a lot of these creators, you know, like um, Mr. Beast, you know, gaming and like Press and Plays, you know, saw a resurgence of growth and building community because they started playing Minecraft and, in building a very strong audience because as a result of it um it kind of went quiet or not quiet but it wasn't given as much of the spotlight as like an epic games or like a Fortnite when really it was way bigger well but but that was because it was the buzz right and so Fortnite was very disruptive they had the buzz new content creators would play it and this is where grace would agree with me for sure but it's like when you get people that command an audience that can actually entertain an audience not from their gameplay but from their personality then it's like they're gonna just connect with that and then it's more top of mind right and so Mm -hmm. that's that's where it's interesting because like i i've seen some of these creators play games and they're not that good like some of them are really bad but it's like but they entertain they're very entertaining i don't know if they're bad because they want to be entertaining or what i mean you know i don't know (laughs) I think it's I think it's a mix, but I think um, I think there are some there are some gaming creators that are undoubtedly brilliant at the game, and I think anyone that's playing the amount of hours that these guys are playing is probably you know fairly good um, or or better than the average after school player. But absolutely, I mean, um, Laserbeam, who's one of the biggest gaming creators in the world, who I work with. Uh, he wouldn't mind me saying he's not great at gaming. No, I, <laughs> but I, I, I would think, concur with that. Lennon's not yeah. really <laughs> But I think out. he's he's compelling and like you watch him and you're having a good time and you're, you've got a smile on your face when you're watching him because you can tell he's kind of having a good time too. And it's something that we've had a number of conversations about over the year where he'll 
it's a common concern where it's like, am I becoming too reliant on one game? Are people only watching me because I play Fortnite? But I think um, the biggest challenge and and the the creators that are doing it best are the ones where people are watching them not because of the game they're playing, but because of their personality, because they're compelling and um, Lannan could play any game and people he, people would watch it because it's not about the game with him. Yeah. It's I, it's. I would watch yeah. him read the phone book, but do they even make phone books anymore? But it's like, right? <laughs> like <laughs> there are creators now, and I'm not going to say any names. I don't think it happens as much. But there was an there was an early on a gaming creator that that wanted to scale as quickly as possible and get as big as as quickly as possible as well where he just wanted more and more content they could send out there so what happened is he actually had people playing the game for him and then he just like do voiceover you know <laughs> on that game now i don't think that does not happen as much now um, and it didn't ever really happen that much in the past either but there's a couple of people that i know that did that both here in the u.s as well as in other countries like in apac where I don't think the community would really like to, to find out that that was something that was being done. However, they, they knew what they were good at. They realized that they weren't as good at gaming to the point where they couldn't finish a game. And so they just had someone else do that part and they just started doing voiceover over the gaming. Have you seen any of that? And it's, it's, that's creative. Like yeah. props for, props for the hustle. But I don't think I would know. I don't think I work with any creators that would feel comfortable doing that because I think most of the creators that are really, really successful understand that so much of why they're successful is because of their authenticity with their community and their viewership. And as soon as you start compromising that, you really, you know, you start testing your relationship. And so I think that's why the creators I work with that I think are best are the ones that have a huge amount of integrity in the content that they create and they're picky about what they'll recommend to their audience because they understand, I think, that because of all the good things about about content creation and, and gaming in particular where they've got long viewership times and high engagement also mean that they've built a high level of trust and I think um, trust... Yeah. arrives arrives on foot and departs on horseback as my dad always 100%. used to say so they have to be careful with that i agree with that 100 percent. and you know um I, I, when I think when I found out, I wasn't supposed to find out <laughs> and and but something that comes with it especially with like this whole fortnite craze or um um is or fall guys craze um there's clout that comes with it you know Yes, it's going to be entertaining, but if you can have some wins or do something creatively while you're playing the game, there's a lot of clout that comes with that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a good chance that people watch you are going to want to be playing what you're, I mean, with the game that you're playing. And, 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 you know, it's a good way of, you know, feeling that you're connecting with someone if you're both really playing um, um, the game. Um, so Grace, what are, what are some of, I mean, your thoughts on the future of the industry. Like, what do you think is going to happen next in gaming? I think it's going to continue to grow and grow. I think more people will, I think it will develop a much stronger casual audience over the next few years. And I think um, from a brands and sponsorship perspective, I think more and more brands are understanding. Yeah. As I said, the value. And I think, um, I think that's just on an upwards trajectory and certainly what I've seen over the last three years 
the type of brands that are interested in getting into the space as well previously were very endemic to the space. And you'd obviously see a lot of developers and publishers and um, peripheral brands like headset brands or microphone brands and that sort of thing um, really getting into the space. But, you know, you see more and more these collaborations with musicians like Epic doing the concert with Travis Scott and um, and uh, fast food brands getting into the space like Ninja doing an Uber Eats partnership and that sort of thing and and apparel sponsorships and I think um, I think the understanding of gaming and gaming creators will be considered far less niche not that I think it's niche now but I think there's still a public perception that perhaps it is and I think that will absolutely change over the next few years. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think there is, you know, still some of a public perception there, but I think it's it's those walls are breaking down really quickly. You know, we're we're, we're working with a lot of companies from CPG brands, um, you know, to electronics as well as like you know fitness companies that are all realizing, okay, this is a community that's really relevant to you know you know what we're providing or what you know mm. or, or the service that we provide or the product you know that we're selling. You know, we need to communicate with them in a way that they want to be connect, communicated with. And, and yeah. we talked about it in, in another podcast where in a way, you know, kind of like how you have to be culturally sensitive when you go to a different, you know, um, you know, geographic area or a different country, you need to be, you know, culturally sensitive when you're going into gaming. Yes, you know, absolutely. A lot of mistakes really fast on, on, on how you approach it. And you want to make sure that first of all, you're going in there in a way that is empowering, that empowers authenticity and, you know, um, the consistent programming that is there, but also going in a way that is, is very relevant. Um, mm. What are some brands that you've liked working with outside of the gaming brands? Oh, I think, um, put me on the spot there. I think we, um, we did some work with KFC last year and I was really, really impressed by, um, you know, their big machine and, and big ships are slow to turn, but I was really impressed with their appetite for actually understanding um, what works and the community. And I think the creators that we worked with, with KFC were, you know, initially a little nervous. They were like, oh, you know, is my is my audience going to understand this? Are they going to think I'm selling out, which is like the, you know, the, the number one fear of every creator. But I think we designed a campaign that worked in a way where it was so positively received and um, the creators announced their partnerships with KFC and the overwhelming response was, wow, that's so cool that like KFC wants to partner with you and that they get it. And I think that was for me such a success because the audience was excited about it and it went from, okay, this person, this brand's just, you know, paying to slap a logo on a stream to, wow, okay, this brand actually gets gaming to the point where they know who you are and they know who our community is and they're allowing you to create content that feels natural for you, but elevated because you're working with a brand that's able to make something happen that perhaps wouldn't be able to happen otherwise. And I think they're the kind of campaigns that are, that are really great. And I think, um, I think, I think that's a challenge for brands getting into the space because for a lot of brands and I'm, I'm sure you and your team would know this better than anyone. 
they they obviously have super strong brand images, often global brand images that they need to maintain. And so making sure that the messaging feels consistent with everything they're doing across the board is really important. But at the same time, it's a balance because working with creators, the the beauty of what you're doing is you're using their authenticity and you're able to tap into that authentic relationship with their audience. And so giving them a page of 15 talking points that they need to hit (laughs) can take away from that magic a little bit. But um, so, so yeah, it's a balance where you need to be able to have a relationship with the influencer or the streamer creator where they understand what you need to get across, but at the same time are able to do that in a way that that's really valuable. But I think, I think to me, that's really exciting because I think that's where um, management and agencies and people that aren't creators themselves, but really understand that space have a lot of value to add because um, they're able to help make those sort of conversations and partnerships happen. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously where I've had a great experience working with them and, you guys and, um, you know, it's people, uh, there's a lot of conversations happening behind the scenes where people are calling and saying like, Hey, how can we make this better? Like, how can we do this in a way that works really, really well? Right. Well, no, I mean, and you, 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 you hit the nail on the head. Um, basically it really comes down to how can they, you know, in in an organic, authentic way, integrate into what's happening with gaming. And so if you think of someone like a KFC or like, or like a restaurant or, or, or or just let's say food. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember growing up having land parties, you know, you know, you know, ordering food and making sure like we had something to eat while we're playing the game so we could play the games as long as possible. And whether it's ordering pizza or, you know, something like KFC. And then, so, you know, there's a natural way of integrating and um, it just has to be done right. The, the, the brand has to embrace the gaming lifestyle and, mm-hmm. and the, pro- the programming that has made the influencer successful and then figure out how to naturally integrate in there. But you said something interesting as well, where you said, you know, having like 15 talking points can really, you know, be somewhat distracting to the creative um, mm-hmm. hard to, you know, hit every single one. And what we've learned is, you know, and, and, you know, I won't go deep into this, but we call it the consensus triangle where the brand and the creator, they reach a consensus. And when they do that, the audience ends up loving the content because it's, you know, done in a way that's very consistent to what the influencer has done in the past. But, you know, we also have data that shows that they engage with the brand more. There's a higher click-through rate and also a higher conversion rate. And usually how we do this is we make sure we only work with creators that are super passionate about the project. But then you also, instead of giving like 20 talking points, you give between like four to six talking points that you encourage the creator to go over in a very natural way that's natural to their voice. And if you want more guardrails, in addition to that, you don't give more talking points. What you do is you give a list of don'ts. So working with a variety of clients from beauty to gaming to entertainment like Disney or, you know, other companies, we've learned that there are brands out there that really want to protect their image. And instead of giving like a whole, you know, a page of what to do, it needs to be different than that. It has to be keep the talking points to a minimum that are hitting the key messages that are important for the brand that you know are going to put the brand in the positive light, but then have a list of don'ts. If there's certain things that can't happen in that content, 
let them let the creator know that and they're going to be usually okay and if they're not they'll pass on the project yeah i think i think it's um i think it's great and i I was having a conversation a few weeks ago with a guy called ian borthwick who runs influencer marketing for SeatGeek, and he had you know that that's obviously a brand and and not every brand is at this point yet although hopefully fingers crossed they will They're, they're obviously a little bit they have a very relaxed mindset but they have an ongoing partnership with David Dobrik and um, he was talking a lot how they really stripped back on the talking points. But he was saying, you know, they have a relationship with a creator now where his audience can literally reel off the the, the seat geek spiel. And, and it's funny and it's become an inside joke with his audience. And I think that's where I think as soon as you're creating um, – you know, you're able to tap into an inside joke with a creator and their audience, you know, you've hit such a sweet spot because, um, yeah, it just, it, that's the ultimate authenticity. Yeah, no, a- a- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what, what drives you right now, Grace? Like, I mean, where do you want to take your business in the next couple of years? Big question. Um, <laughs> I think what what drives me is really the idea of of building things and being at the forefront of an industry that I think is really really exciting. I yeah, I mean, I came into I I didn't grow up a gamer myself, um, so I came into this pretty green, but um, with a real enthusiasm, I think, and and a hunger for growth. And it's been incredibly rewarding over the past three or four years to, yeah, be able to feel as though you're able to develop a really high level of knowledge about an industry and develop really close relationships with people that are um, incredibly creative and and some of the best at what they do. And I think my goal is hopefully to be able to help progress that in in the wider industry space as well. And so I think making sure that more people are understanding gaming, more people are understanding the value of creators and, and for a lot of kids, you know, YouTube's one of the industries that people really, really want to get into now. And, and certainly in Australia, there was a study done where they asked teenagers what they want to do when they grow up. And the number one answer was be a YouTuber. And I think that's, that's really exciting. And while that's not, going to be realistic for everyone. I'm really excited about all of the sort of ancillary careers that are coming up with YouTube and people that can get into production and get into management and get into data and all of these things that are really going to be key for helping YouTubers take their channels to the next level. There's so many career paths within this industry now. And, and certainly within gaming, like as a, as a sort of side thing, there's not a whole lot of women in gaming and, and yep. certainly not in the business side of things. And um, I think it's a really, really exciting space for that as well. There's so much progress to be made there. So I hope that, um, yeah, I'm able to sort of help, help that happen as well. Yeah, that, that really is exciting. Um, you know, I, I think like 30 years ago or like 20 years ago or, or even like 15 years ago, it was a dream to think that you could potentially be in entertainment. Yeah. Whether it was like being an actor or, or a producer or a director, but today it's right in front of everyone. Everyone can follow their dreams and, or pursue yeah. their dreams. Um, and the barrier to entry is so low. 
it is. barrier to entry is so low now. I mean, you don't, you can do it with a phone. You really don't need anything at all. And I think that's, that's what I found really exciting where, you know, in my previous role, I was working at a big company and the, the structure for progression was, was very structured. You know, it was like, you do this for two years and then you'll get promoted and you'll earn this amount and you'll earn this for two years and then you'll do the same thing again. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It absolutely works for a lot of people, but I think it's, it's exciting. You have this Gen Z coming up and everyone wants everything now. And in some ways, you know, maybe we need to exercise our patience a little more, but I think that's also great in a lot of ways that people are just hungry. And um, I think YouTube and their modern entertainment system is a really great way for people to be able to tap into that with, yeah, no barriers to entry. You don't, you could be from anywhere in the world. You don't need a university degree to do it. If you come in and you've got a real hunger, then um, I think any anyone can do it and and I see it like I work with some 19 year olds that um want to become editors for the best youtubers in the world and they're they're just so there for it and um and that's really motivating for me as well oh that's fantastic well Grace it's 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 been wonderful to have you on oh it looks like hey Daryl you made it back I I don't know what happened my laptop just died (laughs) But I got one question, though. It's an important question for Grace. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Grace, I've been waiting my whole life to ask you this. No, <laughs> Did you ever tell your brother that he's not going to amount to anything playing those video games? I need to hear the truth. It needs to come out. You need to confess. <laughs> We did not get along when we were growing up. And I think I think probably his video game habit really frustrated me and the rest of the family. God, I remember, you know, in Australia, internet is not good. Oh, yeah. So it was like, no, we've if been he there. was on the internet, if he was on the internet, I couldn't be on the internet. And he was, you know, on his Xbox. I, I have vivid memories of our father holding his Xbox over the pool in the backyard saying, Elliot, I will drop it. I love and it. now we're obviously super close. We work, we work very closely together. He's one of my best friends and our father is incredibly supportive. Um, but I think, I think that, I think that's funny. I mean, I think, you know, a lot, of, I, I have, sometimes I'll speak to parents of kids and that sort of thing. And they'll be like, Oh, you know, should I be letting my kid play video games all the time? And I think it's certainly a balance. Um, but but definitely I, think, have yeah, balance, I think it's exciting. Yeah, right. Yeah. I had to ask that question because like I would, <laughs> I'd get on the Nintendo with my kid and my uh, brothers and so on and so forth. And my mom would come down, you stop playing that Nintendo. You're not going to amount to anything, you know? <laughs> and it was really funny because like, uh, Nintendo came one of my clients and I went to my mom. I says, remember that you said I would never get anything out of doing playing the Nintendo. Well, what could, look at this, <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. I, what I love about it is, and you know, being, a, being a father of five, it's just like your, your children are going to gravitate to what they're interested in. Right. Mm-hmm. And you need to have moderation in all things. You can't just have them really obsessed with it. And, and um, like really, really, uh, um, 
you know, grateful for technology and where we're at. So like I, uh, my uh, uh, second to last child, uh, we had kind of this, we have this kind of this policy in our house that you can't have a cell phone. You just, you just can't, you know, that's just kind of mom and dad's thing, but mm-hmm. you can earn one if you learn how to play the piano and go to piano lessons and become proficient enough that you can actually read sheet music. And then, you know, we're kind of religious. And so we have them learn hymns you know, as a way that they can do it. And it's going to take like good six, seven years for them to do it. I'm like, okay, if they're really motivated, they can get it about the time that they really want to. Suffer. Yeah. And I um, think, I, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, but what the, the point that I was getting at is um, my, my second youngest, he's like, I don't want a cell phone dad. And I'm like, okay, that's great. He goes, but I want a gaming computer. I want to build it. And I'm like, done you know and then he just yeah. within a year he was able to to pass off all those hymns and do all that other stuff and he gets his gaming computer gets it all set up gets it all ready to go starts downloading he had to take it to the office because we have faster internet at the office and just started downloading all his games like that and now he's like i want to stream and i'm like it's great that's that's great you know so we do that and then he's like oh yeah can i have a sim card because <laughs> he wanted that that phone but but what I love, though, is it's like I, I think we need to look at the rising generation and they're going to see the world differently than what we see it. And mm-hmm. even though they want it now, just because, you know, the older generation has done it in a certain way their whole life doesn't mean that that's completely acceptable and it's the best way of doing things. And I think that there's a, a, a new a, a new horizon of opportunities out there where people, if they if they have a desire and a passion, you know, they just need to, to um, you know, go online and figure it out. Like we, that's what YouTube's for. You can go on and learn anything that you yeah. want and, and you can do it right now. I have uh, a couple of my sons, they want to program. They're going right in and learning from YouTube how to program. And, you know, one yeah. wants to be a video game developer. I'm like, we're all in on this. And so I think, you know, when, when we look at everything that's going on, um, technology has disrupted the way that we actually educate. Um, the way that we communicate, the way that we entertain, and we shouldn't look at it as a waste of time. What we need to do is take a step back and say, okay, how can we make this viable for them? Because if, you know, you can teach them how to do math, just say, hey, you know, if you want to program, you're going to need to know math. And, you know, you start weaving all that stuff in there, you know, which is, which is amazing. And I think, I think we're at a point right now that I know a lot of, uh, you know, parents are really worried about their kids playing it, but there's so many different things that they can do, but it might be, Hey, well, why don't you start streaming or why don't you start editing and get, getting them completely involved? For sure. But I do want to see your dad throwing that Xbox in a pool. <laughs> Like I need that on video. I need it right now. We're gonna, have, we're, to it. we're gonna have Elliot on this podcast later on. We're gonna have to get his side of the story. Oh, dude! Like seriously, <laughs> I think it's about. I think exactly right. I mean, I think it's about. There, there are lots of hobbies that could be unhealthy if you take them to the nth degree. But I think it's about encouraging kids to funnel them into a productive, um, a, a productive thing. And you know, a, a lot of the comments. Um, that the guys and girls that I represent get is, oh, you get to play games for a living. Like you must be living the dream. And, and, you know, that's a funny way to look at it. And in many ways, of course, they are living the dream, but it's also a super simplistic way to look at it. And most, all of the creators I know that have been able to get to a level where they've truly been able to make it a career are not just playing games 24 seven in a mindless way they're all incredibly data driven and they're editors as much as they are youtube or 
editors, as much as they are gamers in most sense of the world, they're thinking about their thumbnails, they're thinking about consistency, they're thinking about really how do they build a business. And in many ways, I think YouTube and streaming is a really productive way for kids to get into gaming because yes, they get to play games for a bit, but they're thinking about, okay, how am I building a story with the video that I'm creating? How am I marketing this? How am I you know, creating a thumbnail? How am I thinking about data? And why did that video do better than that video? And so I think it's about um, trying to encourage, yeah, healthy habits around it. And I, and I love what you're saying about your kids and having to earn the mobile phone and that sort of thing. And I think, I think my parents did a pretty good job of that too. I remember we were, we would have to do chores to get pocket money and then they took it possibly to the end, you know, a little bit of an extreme degree for when we were like 10 years old. But I remember my mum saying, you know, like, okay, you've earned $10, but (laughs) if you don't take it now and you leave it with me, if you wait until your birthday, you'll have $15 and like try and teach the concept of interest to us at like 10 years old. But but I think it's, I think it's a good thing. And it, um, it encourages yeah, better habits later on. Yeah, and I, I think too, it's like there's so much going on. And even though that these uh, successful creators that have have uh, developed a following, they are the new venture capitalists. I mean, they are uh, looking at opportunities to invest. They're investing with their own money, but they're also investing in all this other stuff. It's just like not a video game world. It's like an empire world. Like they're literally building totally. all these empires around. It is just bananas. And I think that... Um, it's very short-sighted just say, oh, it's just something that you just get entertained by. It's like a, literally the biggest industry, like you said, bigger than music and movies combined. And that's a pretty decent, uh, you know, industry if you look at it. Yeah, so. but you're right. Like the creators that are doing it at the at the top level. And, you know, we were speaking earlier about like a Mr. Beast or a Quebecop or a Preston or, um, yeah, like Elliot even, Um they're not just YouTubers or gamers. Like these guys are businessmen and they've built themselves empires and they're thinking about how they can diversify their revenue and scale their teams. And they're really viewing what they've created as anyone that was building a business would create. And they're very, very passionate about that as well. Yes, they're passionate about content. They're passionate about games. But um, most of the ones that that are at that top level or I think that have the potential to really grow them into you know, mini or, or not mini, but maybe a, maybe a little empires um, yeah. are ones that really have that passion for the, the industry in a wider sense as well. They are the future of studios and networks. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have, you know, these companies have come in and tried creating the, their, their networks and where they can aggregate all these content creators. But the truth is, it's going to be happening from the content creators themselves. Where yes. that can figure out how to scale what they're doing and how to replicate what they're doing, you know, they're going to have massive media empires. And when, when working with brands or people that are interested in the space, it's it, that's one thing that you just have to remind you know them over and over is that these are not actors; these no. are um, executives, visionaries, people that have done things that have been really difficult to accomplish. And they're not even close to being satisfied. And I think 2020 has really highlighted that beyond anything. You know, you've seen TV networks and um, production houses and movies really be stopped in their tracks 
this year. They haven't been able to produce content in the normal way that they would. And yet YouTubers' viewership's never been higher. And it's because they've created a model where, yeah, they're able to reach a huge audience and they don't need a production team of 100 and they don't need to have separate editing teams. They've brought this in-house. They've created created something super streamlined and super efficient. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really been a time where you've also seen a lot of brands pivot and maybe money that they were putting into sporting or traditional advertisements that they haven't been able to this year has been redirected into YouTube and creators. And so I think hopefully, you know, in, in what's been a pretty shocking year for many, I, I think it's been a silver lining. Definitely. Definitely. It's been a really weird year. It's been very strange, a lot of curveballs, but there's going to be, as you mentioned, a silver lining where there's going to be so much innovation that comes out of this. It's already happening. It's happening faster than it ever has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think most of the creators I know are trying to take it with both hands and, and, and in many ways, the adaptability of their business models means that they can do that better than traditional media companies might be able to. Well, Grace, thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate your expertise and the knowledge and your, you know, it's been a fun discussion, even though that got kicked off. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, but that was really me, Daryl. I was, just, I was getting tired of I, it. I don't know how that worked, but it, it is what it is. But, uh, but thank you so much. I do have one question. Um, are you a gamer now? I'm a light gamer, but I, I think I much prefer the behind the scenes management stuff of it. So I'll I'll stick to what I'm good at. That that's a game within itself game. too. Just let you know, <laughs> it's a Absolutely. different type of game. And, 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 and that's a game I love. But I'm horrible at it. I love gaming, and whenever I can, <laughs> I do it. But yeah, I I am not good at it at all. But I am better than Daryl, which is great. Well, you can just watch a laser beam video and, and that can that can do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Grace. Thank you, Ricky. And thank, thank you. you all for watching, listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe, like, follow, whatever that button that is. And we'll see you guys on the next video.